Developer experience, or DevX, is a critical aspect of modern software development that focuses on creating a seamless and productive environment for developers. It encompasses everything from the tools and technologies used in the development process to the documentation, libraries, and frameworks available to streamline coding tasks. An emphasis on DevX can enhance individual developer productivity and, as a consequence, boost the overall success and innovation of software projects. Amazon Web Services recently created the NextGen DevX division. This new division is using generative AI and foundation models to reimagine the experience of all builders on the AWS platform. Deepak Singh is the Vice President of NextGen DevX at AWS, and he joins us in this episode. This episode of Software Engineering Daily is hosted by Jordi Mon Companies. Check the show notes for more information on Jordi's work and where to find him. Hi, Deepak. Welcome to Software Engineering Daily. Hi, Jordi. Nice to be here. It's your second time in the show. We were talking about a minute ago about the fact that you had uh, recorded an interview with Jeff back in 2016. We'll comment on that later. But uh, your your last tweet is months ago, and I'm not here to question why you've abandoned my favorite social <laughs> media platform, you and several million others, which is uh, quite obvious. But you mentioned, it's actually the, your last tweet, there's a morning of Jeff Beck, if I'm not wrong, correct me if I'm wrong. So what, what do you like about uh, Jeff Beck's music and specifically, I guess, guitarists on guitars? Are you a guitar player yourself? Uh, I am a, a really bad guitar player. Uh, <laughs> the best way I play guitar is playing it through a really long reverb uh, and echo loop chain. I'm actually more of a, I'm a synthesizer person. Um, and I almost treat guitars as string oscillators. But since I was a child, like early, like early te- like teenager, even maybe before that, I've loved guitar playing. Um, uh, and Jeff Beck's been, always been one of my probably three favorite guitar players. Who would be your top three then? Jeff Beck, we've got one. Rest in peace. Steve Wye has always been my favorite. In fact, yeah, when I first moved to the US, it's 1996. I think three days after I landed up, in university, I got a bus uh, to a Steve Vai concert. I had ne- like, basically had never done anything else in the U.S. at that time. <laughs> I went and saw that. I've seen a couple more since then. Um, it's tough to say who else. Like I think Jeff Beck and uh, Steve Vai are probably my top two. But uh, I mean, I like, always love Jimmy Page. I've always been a huge fan of John McLaughlin. Um, there's a bunch of others. Guthrie Gowan. Uh, there's there's so many good. Like I love good guitar players. Nice. Tough to pick one. It's a shame, but we 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 can't keep talking about music, which would be a a great uh, uh, time to uh, you know topic to spend time on it. But uh, no, you actually are a long time AWS um, uh, employee. In fact, when you were interviewed by Jeff to, back in 2016, you already were, and you probably talked about technologies that were hot at that time in AWS. But you have been. Uh, Right now, very recently, uh, 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 named a really fancy title, which you can explain in a minute. So walk us through your career. Mention what you talked with uh, Jeff back in the day, if you remember. I'll probably link the show, the the episode in the in the show notes. And most importantly, talk talk about how you know the, your thrilling uh, 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 remit and charter right now at AWS. Yeah. Yeah, no, I talked with Jeff a long time ago. So I, I've been at AWS for a little over 15 years now. 
And for most of the time, I've been involved in the compute side, which is what I talked to Jeff about. Uh, started off on EC2, really low level on HPC and performance and you know, how to build high-performance networks and big instances uh, on the product side. Uh, but then increasingly, I got more interested in how software is packaged and delivered. So in 2014, I started a containers organization that I ran for nine years. Uh, and that was a lot of what we talked about then and you know, container orchestration and container-based delivery. Uh, for a while, for the last year and a half or so, I also ran a serverless organization. So there's things like Lambda and EventBridge, as well as uh, you know, things like CloudFormation and CDK. So I'd start, in general, I'd started getting super interested in sort of the software deployment, software delivery uh, pipeline. And I also picked up our IDE organization. That's an org that does Cloud Shell, the AWS toolkit for things like Visual Studio, Visual Studio, Visual Studio Code, JetBrains, and things like Cloud Shell. Um, and, you know, sort of continuing to move up the stack, as I like to say. And about three months ago, uh, we started a new organization, and our charter is in some ways somewhat bombastic, but also very simple. Uh, my org is called Next Generation Developer Experience, and as the name suggests, we consider us we are a develop, developer experience organization. We are a bunch of folks who love making it easy for people to build and deploy and run applications in the end, uh, especially the way they interact with AWS. That's how I like to think about it. But we all have a conviction that generative AI is going to change the way any of us interacts with software uh, and with AWS specifically. And, and that's the sort of thing we set out to do as an organization. It didn't come out of nowhere. Uh, there's a bunch of things that already started. There's a few things that are already in there. Uh, we've talked a little bit before this call thing recording started about Code Whisperer. That's one of the teams in my organization. Uh, it uh, predates me taking over, but it made complete sense uh, combining the IDE or because Code Whisperer is delivered through our web toolkits uh, and uh, et cetera, along with Code Whisperer and then things like Code Catalyst uh, and some of our sort of early efforts in delivering software in ways that are less about writing code and other ways of doing it. That's what, you know, historically would be considered low code and no code. Uh, I'm not always the biggest fan of those words, but uh, the general idea is there's a bunch of people who aren't just sitting in an IDE and writing code and deploying it that way. They, they do it in different ways. And with Gen AI, I think those ways are actually going to get very, very tractable. So super interested in that as well. Yeah, so... It, the exciting part is, and for me personally, this is the most excited I've been about how foundational the change I think we have seen since I first did EC2 run instances in 2006. Uh, is I think, in, I think we're going to change as an industry just how people interact with software, with code, with applications. And uh, our goal is to do that for AWS. Okay, makes sense. So what is it then that... Um makes code or application delivery or software delivery so prone to be impacted in a really high way by Gen AI? What, what is it about Gen AI that makes it such a great technology to provide a revolutionary change to code specifically, or even pipelines as code? So everything is code, right? Um, yeah. uh, what is it about those two elements that are such a great match? Yeah, I mean, for those of, for those people who got introduced to generative AI, uh, for many folks, it was through things uh, and the, in the vision in the creative space, like with photography, with video, 
Uh, we have a customer called Runway uh, that AWS has that does text-to-video. That's quite fascinating. There's a bunch, you know, you see the word that work that Stable Diffusion has done on text-to-images. Uh, the general, you know, if you look at what generative AI does is a well-trained model is able to do a, infer a lot of intent and is able to deliver, give you sort of, I, I won't say read your mind, but if you are good at writing a prompt, it's able to take that prompt and convert that intent into something. And if it's been trained on code, which things like Code Whisper are, so it understands the semantics of code, it's able to convert your intent into well-understood well code. Now, if your model is trained well, it's got good corpus behind it, uh, it works really well. But what makes it super interesting over time, and I think this is what makes it so fascinating, is I think you can always give these, uh, these prompts and these models great context. For example, what your account credentials are, uh, which AWS APIs you may want to use if your prompts are written well. Uh, and I think that's the part that makes it super fascinating is you you take intent and context together and a well-trained well model can then generate code or something else. In this case, you're talking about code uh, that is a manifestation of that in how it understands that intent and that context. And what, I've, what generative AI has proved, and it's super early, I mean, it's kind of fascinating fascinating how quick, quickly this timeline has gone is that given good intent and good context, you can get really good results. And as we get better at understanding intent and context, we're only going to get better. And I think that's the part that uh, fascinates uh, a bunch of us and why you're starting to see so much interest in things like Code Whisper. Yeah, because not everything on a day-to-day, -day, on, on the everyday life of a developer is actually writing code, right? And, and suggesting and requesting code completions and uh, request uh, requesting suggestions of code to, but actually looking up stuff, right? Finding they, they, there's so many real world examples of acquiring a new code base. Is it documented? What is, what the hell is this? How do I find my way through, or even in my own code base? How do I look up an item? Where is the what is what is this module about? What does it do, and how should I call it? Uh, what are the coding guidelines of the company? I'm a newcomer. I'm a newbie. A new hire. And I need to be onboarded into the code base, the company, the best practice, and so forth. So there's a ton of development activity, heavy activities that are pro to be like revolutionized right now. I mean, code suggestions have been important in IDEs for a while. They are probably going to be getting much better. But yeah, there's a whole range of activities that I think you were gling, uh, you were hinting at right now. Uh, asking, you know, there's this natural language in, uh, way of interfacing and reacting to things that is going to be, uh, it's going to enrich so many different activities in the day-to-day -day life of a developer, right? Absolutely. I mean, um, you know, we are, as, as you've probably heard us say, we are three kilometers into a marathon, 10K race, so pick your distance. It's early, but you can already see the signs whether it's the sort of national language conversational interfaces that you have, whether it's the fact that, you know, there's uh, two or three areas where I think generative AI is going to make a significant impact. One of them is just eliminating toil. There's a bunch of things that people don't like doing. And uh, the fact that you can get that done very quickly is going to help you do more. Um, there's the code completion part, which, as you said, has been around in IDEs for a long time. But I think, but, in general, yeah, the IDE code completion was limited to language semantics. 
and with things like Code Whisperer, which has deep understanding of the AWS API, for example, it's more than that. It can like you can tell it in natural language, hey, I want to do I want a method that does X with an S3 bucket. It's not just about getting the syntax right. It's actually about giving it the code block and calling the right uh it, you know, if you're writing Java code, the right libraries from the SDK, etc. to complete that. And this is as this is just the beginning. There's so much more we can do over time around helping people understand what the code is saying. Uh, you already mentioned things like uh, learning the code base much faster uh, and so on. So I, I think that it's, it's, what makes it fascinating is it's already helpful because it is essentially providing you a documentation on the fly without having to actually look at the documentation and, uh, and become an expert or then look at every method. But at the same time, you can also see where it could go. And so if you combine the two, um, I think that's where I see a lot of developers getting excited. Because in some ways, today, yes, it's super helpful, but it's uh, an incremental improvement on what they were doing, especially for more experienced developers. But I think where it really starts making an impact is for people who are less experienced. And the experienced developers can see that if they commit to this now, there's a path that's going to happen really quickly that is going to make a huge impact to them as well. And I think that's what, where I see all the excitement. Yeah, and I think that is going to release a lot of productivity because, as you say, the need, the amount of oversight, companionship, um, training, that pair programming that the average junior developer will require, does require currently from senior developers and will be taken over by a code whisperer, will will obviously make the on-ramp, well, not obviously, but it seems that it's going to make the on-ramp, the onboarding much faster of these junior developers. But it's also releasing senior developers, which have, we all know that they make a, they are the 10x developers of the company, right, of the project. And it's going to release so much time from them. Uh, from not only from onboarding new junior developers, but I'm thinking of code reviews and all the different activities uh, that is going to let them contribute to the project much more and so forth. So, so I can I can only agree with you. Like uh, it's going to be terrific in many areas. Yeah, I mean, I think one of my favorite favorite sites always has been when when new uh, developers join the company straight out of college. As you know, senior developers will often sit next to them. Uh, they lead the pair program with them uh, or explain uh, certain idioms, etc. as they're helping them onboard to uh, the way code is built here. Um, I think what it does is the things that they now are going to talk to them about are going to change to much more high-value things. Um, and uh, then they can focus on hard problems, on educating about how do you think about building a system, things like that, that, um, you know, where it's tough to beat a uh, senior developer, but uh, the AI is uh, the AI assistants, as you may call them, you know, essentially, it it it's like giving. Uh, the way I like to say it is, it's giving the junior developer two partners. One is a senior developer who's going to help them through hard problems, and one is uh, the AI assistant that's going to help them onboard quickly, help them get much more product, much or write code much faster. Um, and uh, if if you've learned anything from history, the history of technology, it's like the more uh, the more junior people, the people who are who aren't brought learn in certain idioms, pick up the new ones really quickly and become so much more effective with them. And I think that's going to happen. And obviously, there's certain aspects that we are not factoring in, not only in this conversation, but in general, it's like 
there are grumpy senior developers and me as a junior developer, I've been hesitant to tap their shoulder more than twice for maybe the same question because I'm very junior and I'm learning. You know what? Code Whisperer does not get upset if you ask him or her or it the same question every time or variations, slight variations of the same question every time because it's got infinite patience and a strong compute behind. Um, so, so yeah, code, code suggestion, so code throughput, it's clear that uh, the amount of volume that, the, the, the amount of code that uh, Code Whisper is going to generate uh, that is toil, most is a boilerplate stuff, is, is going to improve the throughput of everyone. What about testing? Does it help in any way in, in test generation? Um, does it give ideas of test coverage? Does it generate? Yeah. What, what does it do in the in the realm of testing? Yeah, not today. I mean, there's the code whisper is not going to automatically, if you're writing a piece of software today, it does not automatically create your tests for you. Uh, what it can do is help you write your tests because tests are also code. But, so that part is obviously there. But today, uh, it code whisper doesn't like, here's my code base, go write a bunch of unit tests because I hate writing unit tests, and uh, now, I, now I'll have them. Uh, obviously, as you can imagine, those are the kinds of areas that our customers are talking to us about. Test, you know, unit uh, test generation, code reviews, the, everything is sort of the developer lifecycle is pretty much up for, up for grabs for our customers. And I think what they and us are all trying to do together is figure out which are the areas where we can make an impact now and where there's more work required both in the underlying science and the underlying methodologies to make it useful. Like I think that's the that's the interesting part about this time is we've already established over the last I would say year that uh, coding companions like Code Whisper are making an impact to helping developers get stuff done. The question now is how do we take that to the next level? Before I ask you about more of the deployment side, which you have already hinted at uh, with the course to the API in S3 and so forth, but I'd like to elaborate a bit more because it's probably, I mean, you just mentioned it that the dev side of things is 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 making a lot of progress uh, and it's it's heavily prone to be uh, revolutionized. But what about the But before I ask you that, one thing that I don't want to miss about Code Whisperer that makes me really happy as a someone involved in the SPDX project is that it behaves as a very uh, nice and uh, proficient and, um, and has a really high standard for the etiquette of the open source, the management of open source licensing. Because correct me if I'm wrong, and I'd like to elaborate on how it does this, but the co-suggestions are tagged in some way uh, with the license of the code base it has been um, trained on. Could you, could you explain that how that works? Right from the beginning of Code Whisper, and when I think I think from almost the initial press release fact that we wrote, like as we do, you know, when we're doing product development inside Amazon, the general idea of helping making sure that because we knew our customers would be often at enterprises where they really really care about what the software, where the software comes from. The concern is that if Code Whisperer or any other, but in this case Code Whisperer is suggesting literal code chunks of code from the training data set, will that make me, the Code Whisperer client, uh, um, suitable, a target for a, for a legal challenge for misusing the license 
uh, that the idea is uh, that, below, that that the train to say this. Okay, that's, that's the challenge, right? Yeah, all these companies already like today. You know, when developers bring in packages from left wherever and are putting in code, they already have a lot of effort in uh, which is very manual or in many ways or various scanning, etc. So, us. A lot of our customers are very aware of this problem. They spend a lot of resources on it. So it was very, right from the beginning, It was we knew that this was a problem we, we needed to address. So what CodeRispr has, for those who don't know, has a reference tracker. And what the reference tracker does is as you're writing code, it is able to identify, hey, here's a piece of code that we believe is similar uh, or could be interpreted as being similar to a piece of open source code it might, like you may have picked it up from some repository. So what it does is it'll tell you that and then point to the repository that it thinks it is uh, that open source particular piece of code comes from. Then you can go and evaluate the license, decide if that's a license that your company is allowed to use, if it's okay, what, you know, all the things that you have to do a lot of work to do to figure out, to even get to that point, it just gives it to you. And it was right from the way we even built our models and trained them, this was part of the goal. So it wasn't something that was added on. I think that's why it works as well as it does. It, it does. Uh, from what I've heard, it, it really does. And uh, I know that many people that appreciate be and want to be uh, a good open source citizen uh, uh, not only approve of it, but uh, endorse it. And there's also another aspect about code security, right? That uh, I'm not sure how it actually works. And I'd love for you to explain to us um, because it does some kind of a scanning. I'm not sure if it scans the training data for known vulnerabilities or the other way around if code whisperer in a in a in one of the uh without any filtering suggests code that may contain um um uh, any any kind of vulnerability because let's remember llms for code or for anything are not intelligent they are they're really good at predicting the next word and they make sense but they are not definitely human and definitely intelligent in the in a human way so it's necessary to put filters at, but behind the output so that potentially vulnerabilities are filtered out or any other concerns. So uh, could you describe how uh, Code Whisperer actually helps in that sense and in what uh, way does it do it? Yeah, so there's no, it doesn't take one approach. Like for good security, you need multiple approaches. Um, so for example, could uh, you can you know scan for the top you know OWASP top ten sort of vulnerabilities? That's one example. Um, you have script library best practices that is trained on. It, it understands those. It's been trained on internal AWS security best practices and things like if you're using AWS APIs, it kind of knows what we would recommend and not recommend. Like from a security perspective, like opening up your bucket, opening up your buckets to the whole world, uh, as is a classic example. So there's a bunch, there's some things that are part of its training and rules, some things you scan, uh, and then you can suggest remediations to, uh, to those code vulnerabilities. And I think this comes from, we've had a product for a while called CodeGuru, which is uh, our generative AI historically. It's, a, it's an AI rules-based system that looks at code and scans code and tells you how to improve your code to be secure. Uh, some of those practices were is what made it into Code Whisperer, but more recently, as part of this new org, we actually combined the Code Whisper and Code Guru teams into a single team. Because, and the idea is pretty simple. Like, in the end, the quality of your code is very important and quality includes security. Um, so, you you know, 
right now we are doing some somewhat simple stuff you could argue where we are taking a bunch of well tried and tested hey look at you know here are some well known vulnerabilities are these showing up here's how you never use uh, open up an s3 bucket we can train those or we can add rules on now if you combine it with something like code guru which you can apply to code code whisper code anyway but if you make it just part of the you know i think there's some very interesting ideas that we have there so we've put the two teams together so they can start thinking together about how to make code generation and keep, continue to keep it secure. So how does the deployment side work in Code Whisperer? Is there a, I guess, I guess there are three types of way of interacting with AI uh, assistants, AI companions, whatever we want to call them, which would be, you know, requesting a code suggestion via comment, right? Uh, which would be the most traditional way, uh, maybe an instruction. And finally, a natural language, a plain English, in this case, uh, plain language uh, interface in which we treat the thing as a human that in understands our, our language. How would deploying an application in Code Whisperer work in, in, in such fashion? Is it, is, it, is it ready for a chat interaction and say, hey, deploy this? Hey, uh, what is the performance of my application in Australia or in said region of AWS. I mean, can, can it do such nifty and detail-rich things? Not yet. Uh, I would. Uh, there's a bunch of interest. Again, this is an area where there's uh, one of those areas where uh, uh, all I will say is uh, watch this space. But what <laughs> code, code Whisper is kind of in the middle of what you said, which is it does, the way you add code in Code Whisper is either by typing or adding in a comment, but the comment can be written in natural language. And it converts that into code. So I think that's the interesting part. Um, once the code is checked in, then of course your standard deployment practices come in. But I think we are we are trying a few other interesting ideas around this. Um, so if you've ever been to the Lambda console, it has an embedded editor. <clears throat> we have sort of a new version of that embedded editor that we've uh, started releasing. Uh, you can find it in the ECS console right now. Maybe in a few others. I remember when ECS adopted. That was running ECS at the time. But the fun part of this embedded cloud editor that's going to be is in the AWS console, and it up, it's up to the service teams to pull it in, but you'll see it in many, many places in the console where it makes sense, is that it has code whisper built into it. So I'm in the Lambda console, and I am want to write my own Lambda function because you have an editor right there. Code whisper can write the whole function for you. And then you can deploy the Lambda function right from right there. So that's an example of where it does make that process a lot easier. Um, and the reason we did Cloud Editor the way we've done it is we decided to just, the idea was, hey, we're just going to make this sim in some ways a simple editor, the syntax highlighting, et cetera, but make it an embeddable widget in any AWS console. And it has Code Whisperer built in. Um, so if you have access to Code Whisperer, it'll actually start completing your code for you. And Lambda is a great one because you're writing snippets of code, you're writing functions, and you're just deploying them right there. And it works really, really well for that use case. And I, I can only see Code Whisperer being excelling at GitOps-like declarative models, right? In which your system, and this is something that uh, you can, some of your products actually support, I, I know for a fact. Um, yeah, if your whole system 
uh, is, re- is using Kubernetes, for example, and it's described in a declarative way in code in a Git repo or in any kind of repo, then interacting with it, with the whole system through Code Whisperer must be actually something kind of easy, right? Uh, I don't know if it's easy yet. I think the part that we are all still figuring out, I mean, it, it works. It works quite well. It does make it easier. I think it actually today works easier in a serverless world where you don't even have to think about anything. You just sort of just do it inline. Um, but I, I think the part you're poking at, which is super interesting and, and asking about, is I actually think some of the ways we interact with code are going to evolve because the AI is going to do so much of it for you or it's going to do you know, assembling some of these things, putting them in place, telling you what, you know, sort of almost anticipating your next step and making it a lot more seamless is going to be a lot easier. Um, in the end, once you have an end-to-end deployment pipeline, the important part is checking in the code. So if you can get much faster at checking in the code, you're, you are making the pipelines along much faster. Now, as you, some of the things we talked about earlier on testing and uh, reviews, et cetera, come in, as those also get incorporated, you're again finding the next place to make that automation that much better. So I think that's those are the areas where you will see the most impact. But right now, I think the biggest impact is you've already invested in automation and pipelines. The fact that you're checking in code much faster and at a much higher throughput is the part that's going to make a significant impact. And we see that, right? A uh, good example is we have this customer, there's this customer called Persistent System, their service, uh, services company. And they've made CodeBridge available to, I think there were 16,000 developers, to all of them. Oh, wow. Because the general idea is that's how you're working on code and checking it, checking it in. So that's a great example of sort of broad adoption and the impact it can have. Oh, yeah. In fact, I mean, and this is a claim that I, th- I believe your CEO has uh, made in, in an interview, but definitely your website makes. That is, you've apparently run a an internal survey test, benchmark, bake-off, um, in which uh, you claim that 50, uh, the, the, the team's or using Code Whisperer will increase at least in this test uh, productivity in fifty-seven percent. If I'm remembering the the figure correctly, it's a it's a quite quite bold claim, and um, and I'm I'm intrigued. We we were discussing before the, the recording that there's no one size fits all for measuring productivity, um, but you were hinting right now to a few items like measuring throughput and 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 commits and check-ins and uh, uh, review time cycle, all those things. Uh, so I guess, does AWS for your own internal teams has any kind of framework to measure not only productivity, by the way, but and you were also hinting in this way, in this direction before. Also in terms of developer experience, right? And making the experience something pleasurable and reducing nutrition and all these things. Uh, does the does AWS have a framework for that? And um uh, and yeah, so in what way have you come up with, a, with this astonishing figure? Yeah, so the, we do have a framework, uh, and it's evolved quite a bit since those measurements were taken in some ways because we have a much better insight into how people are using it. The interfaces they're using it have evolved as well. Um, I, you know, I think a great example of this, and I don't have a number. I, I don't have a number to share, but uh, at the New York Summit, we added Code Whisper to Glue Notebooks. Um, so these are writing ETL pipelines using Code Whisperer. It's a very simple constrained use case, which, by the way, is similar to your uh, declarative kind of yeah. example earlier. But that was a month ago, right? Because the meeting in New York was 
Yeah, just a little uh, three weeks ago. Time flies these days. Three weeks, yeah. four weeks ago. Yeah, but it was a, yeah yesterday. Yeah, the rate of adoption of using Code Whisper for these pipelines is is kind of uh, astonishing. I'm waiting. I'm I'm waiting for us to talk about it, like the numbers uh, in more quantitative terms. But I'm also not surprised because that's the kind of problem that's really well served by something like Code Whisper. But going back to your original question, the the specific numbers we shared were that uh, we. Uh, Codewisper was, you know, helping developers complete uh, tasks an average of 57% faster. And uh, developers who were using Codewisper were 27 more likely to complete a coding task successfully than those who did it. And it was basically, we uh, before right around the time we launched, we took a bunch of builders and gave them a set of tasks and we measured uh, and we did some measurements on those. And the way to think about developing a task faster is not just about how much code you can write, how fast you're typing, and how fast, how much code whisper is completing for you. If you're writing anything and the kinds of applications that people write, you spend your time looking up documentation, seeing what an API does, what its methods do, what its responses are. Code whisper in particular, in this case, more, uh, the tasks were, you know, AWS friendly, is very good at the AWS API. Uh, the, you know, the classic example I like using is, uh, you know, create an S3 bucket which has XYZ characteristics or, you know, you're putting an object in it or the thing I always ask Code Whisper to write when the first time I ever tested it was write a function for me that uh, increments uh, increments the counter every time I add an object to an S3 bucket or something like that. Um, things like that get much easier and you don't have to look up any documentation and it's and you the time adds up. Uh, and so that's where you get these task average. It's not just a time on keyboard, it's wall time, right? And wall time includes things like looking at documentation. And coding companions make that process a lot, lot much, much, much more clean and much faster. Uh, you're also less likely to get frustrated and leave, which is sort of what the other metric does. It. Exactly. More delightful. Yeah. It, it's a, I can't it, find the documentation I'm looking for. I can't figure it out here. It, 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 it tells you. Yeah, because I'm, I'm, I'm. I mean, I can see that in an era, in the current era, in which interest rates are really high, um, requiring justifying budget and opex increases for your team, for your business unit, is is way tougher than it was two years ago. So, and and at the same time, the goals of the company, especially in our sector and software, are incredibly demanding. Those have not gone down. Yeah, they were already high. Um, that puts a lot of pressure on developers, right? And uh, attrition is a concern, right? And the developers make good money. I think it's a, in general a good, uh, a good, a well-paid uh, function. Uh, but yeah, attrition has, I think, has grown. And making software delivery, the, the, the software engineering, the software experience, m much, much less frustrated and even delightful. And discovering new things about it is, is the most positive thing about Gen AI for software delivery, I think, for app delivery, don't you think? Yeah, and I look, in, in the end with Gen AI, making things delightful is one of the core goals. Making organizations more productive is, of course, the end goal we all have as, as AWS. Are, you know, we want you to be much more productive. With We've always liked to make our customers more agile. Like, this is the reason why people started using EC2 back in the day. I started using the cloud was agility more than anything else. And the definition and our expectations of agility are only going to change over time. 
we are where we are. We've done a lot. And now we have this new, that's why it excites me so much, is I think you can get that step change in agility and delight in ways that, you know, we were, you know, I, I, I like making, I ran containers for a long time, but I also like making fun of the container world, which is, I think we added a lot of complexity into the process and made it less delightful, even though we were being able to accomplish a lot more because of the automation that we, you could build. But I think it did add a lot of, I won't call it pain, but a lot more overhead to getting things done. And now we have this Gen AI thing, which has already shown like sort of in its infancy how much fun it can be, but also how much it can make your life easier. And that's, and, and sort of getting the flywheel rolling and seeing, which is where we are right now, our customers are telling us what they want next. So we are cranking on that flywheel uh, and you'll start seeing, uh, you know, it's, it's some of the work that you'll that's come out in the space in general. Things like Bedrock, Bedrock Agents, uh, Code Whisper, and the enhancements that you've seen there are sort of the early signs of how that flywheel is starting to move. And but the, if in the end, our goal is very simple: we want you to do a lot more than you than you are doing today, without having to invest in necessarily, you know, oodles of. Look, it takes work. To get that much more effective and uh, generative AI makes you very effective and makes your best people best people more effective as well because they're spending their time on the highest value things and uh, I think that's the part that gets us all super excited. Yeah, it's going to reduce cognitive load. It's already done it. Complexity and for cloud native, which I think is more complex, like you just said, but also the way to go. I mean, depends if you're running a, a a system that only requires absolute throughput, then keep it in a mainframe if you wish and isolate it, and that's okay. But if you if you're a customer driven um, organization that needs to move fast in a highly competitive world, you most likely would like to have a systems oriented the microservices or, um, architecture that you know that is uh, cloud native in a way. Um, but in that sense, like Code Whisperer and others, is just uh, making it well more delightful. I guess what are the what what should we you've you've already just mentioned a few products, but yeah, what what should we expect from AWS in this sense? So you've described the present now; it's limited, exciting, um, being iterated with your clients as uh, as you just described a few of them uh, quite fast as of now, but. What in the near future is, I mean, no scoops, no necessary, no no announcements, but in general, what, what should we expect from AWS in, in this specific area? Yeah, I'll, I'll go back a little bit uh, and give you sort of a slightly broader picture because I think it helps. In, in, in general, we look at AI in sort of layers of the stack, as it were, and generative AI in particular. You know, your lowest layer is things like inferential and Trainium, the silicon, because um, being able to do a lot of training and a lot of inference at a lower cost at more efficiently is going to be actually more really, really important. The hardest part about LLMs in general is that it takes a lot of resources to get them trained. It takes a lot of resources to, inf to do inference. So there's a lot that we are doing to optimize the lowest layer of the stack. AWS is really good at it. We've, we've learned a lot with Graviton and some of the other things that we've done. Uh, with our network, with the super clusters that we're building. Um, so I think that's one part. The second part is what I would call uh, the stack that are the services that are used to build AI applications. I, my org is a customer of all these services. So these are things like Bedrock. 
things like bedrock agents that allow application developers to use AI to, you know, LLM. In fact, in many ways, the one of the beauties of generative AI is AI, like especially deep learning, was very data centric. Like it was useful for data scientists, but not necessarily as much for app builders. And generative AI is sure data is always critical, and you know it allows you to do more with your data. But in the end, generative AI makes AI something for builders, which is what makes me excited. Which is that third layer. Having all these tools underneath you, having the bedrocks of the world, having the bedrock agents of the world, what can we start building? Uh, how can we fine-tune these models to for specific applications? How can we do RAG to make sure that we are getting the latest and greatest APIs represented? Um, and that allows us to build higher-level systems like Code Whisperer, like many others that you you can imagine the kinds of things that we're working on. I also talked about sort of low-code, no-code application building. There's you know, the fun part about generative AI that's not just text, it's multimodal. So uh, there, there's a lot of interesting applications. You've you know, you've probably seen some of the ones in the creative side already. Uh, so I think the future that lies is as all these layers of the stack evolve, as the you know the silicon gets better, as this middle services to build AI systems get better, you have access to more models, the ability to fine-tune them, methodology to sort of do very, very custom things, then you can start giving more value on top. And a lot of our efforts are around what have we learned with Code Whisperer around what people want to do with code, the feedback they're getting. But code's only one part of this whole developer experience challenge. Uh, for example, we also brought in the Code Catalyst team and the Amplify team into this organization. We have lots of ideas around how to enable end-to-end -end delivery and web application development. So I think that's making the most of yeah. I was thinking right now, the only thing that maybe CodeRespro or any other code um, AI assistant uh, for, for software delivery is not well designed for is helping with prompt generation i mean are they able to so are they able to tell you you're asking me something the wrong way this is the way you should be uh structuring your your well maybe you have a code companion for prompt generation and a separate a, a, a that helps you with the prompt generation and then code whisperer uh, inject uh, receives the input and yeah. generates the output <laughs> i'm not sure i could be completely wrong yeah, this is personal opinion uh, uh, that I'm going to say now, which is, I think there's a lot of people who ask me the question, are software engineers, uh, is front engineering a new discipline? And I will say the answer is no. I think it is a discipline that software engineers will become good at because it'll be, it's just another tool in their toolkit is how to write prompts and they will teach themselves. I've seen my, the teams in my organization, the engineers we have, become really, really good at prompt engineering. I'll also add that I think in the end, for the average developer, it may not matter because if you're really good at natural, if you're able to express yourself in natural language, the systems, this middle tiers will be able to translate that into prompts and convert that into meaningful things. And sure, there'll be a small class of people who want to go in and edit prompts and be prompt ninjas. Uh, that's what I think what we'll end up being in, in our end. But for the average developer, I don't think it'll be something they need to think about in the, in the fullness of time. I think in the near term, it is a skill that a lot of developers are going to pick up because they're the ones building the high-level applications. But if you're in working a little higher up the stack, you're probably talking in natural language. You're probably clicking and dragging, and the prompts are underneath. 
and how good you are at if you're really good at converting natural language into a really high quality prompt that's that's actually part of the problem that you're trying to solve for your customers so i think the way we look at it is taking the customer view is what can we do to make customers lives easier and if the answer this is where the personal opinion comes in a potential answer is they don't need to become experts at prompt engineering and we become on their behalf because the smaller number of people can then make them a larger number of people more productive i think that's um that's something that i personally believe and i think it it i think there's reason in, there's enough data from talking to our customers where i think that has some legs well deepak that has been really interesting i presume i can only assume that uh, if uh, reinvent uh, later this year and the end of this year somewhere somewhere around it's always in december correct right it's always the week after thanksgiving exactly exactly i'm not i'm not american i always forget that that's a cornerstone of american um um life cycle in general and uh it, Ooh, it, that that's as far as i understand it <laughs> exactly that's that's a good, good way of thinking i i need to have a a good uh thanksgiving menu once in my life and it, i will never forget when it happens and what it's all about because food anchors everything in one's memory better than than any other thing maybe love is the only other thing that uh sticks uh with more strength to our to our memories so I presume there's going to be a lot from your team in that event and maybe trickling out before and after. So I can only uh, just um, be quite um, excited about, uh, you know, hearing about those things in, in a few months. And yeah, other than that, I would like to thank you for your time here and, uh, and wish you the best because, as you said, you're in a very critical point in time in a good way and i think uh, aws is definitely well placed uh, for many many reasons that you explained uh to deliver a a solid uh developer experience actually in general yeah no it's uh it's super exciting uh as i said watch this space uh and he has said that every team at amazon almost every team at amazon is doing something with generative ai there's a ton going on I haven't been this excited in years, and I be I tend to get excited about tech in general. Uh, so it's it's a great uh, it's a great time to be around uh, such a, you know such a foundation fundamental foundational game changing tech tech. And uh, what makes me exciting excited is getting into the hands of all our customers. And uh, in the coming weeks and months, you'll see a ton. I love to get feedback from them, and thank you for your time. I enjoyed this too. My pleasure. Looking forward to those. Take care. Ciao.